Uh, let's pray for the Word tonight. Then. Father, tonight I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your purpose in our lives. Holy Spirit, You're the only one that is really the one who should teach this Word, but You've allowed it to be taught through men and through teachers and women who are teachers. We just believe tonight that You'll teach through us what You want to say. Thank You for writing the book. Thank You for giving us the answers. Tonight we give You praise and we give You honor. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to begin by reading this prophecy that, that Gail gave last time. And I've really been looking at it a lot. It's really good. I, did you post it? Did we post it online somewhere where people could read it? You texted it? Okay. So, so several of you have already been reading this. But this was really good. The Lord gave it to, to Gail on January the 23rd. And it says this, Get out of your rut. It's a death sentence to those who practice doing the same thing over and over and expecting me to do the unexpected, the miracles you so desire, the surprises you seek from me. Put away the prepared scripts and give me an opportunity to speak to the people through my Holy Spirit. Lockstep is for robots and those without the Spirit in their lives. Without the Spirit in your lives, you will never see revival by doing the same thing over and over. I am the God of the spontaneous. I love to surprise those who fully trust me. My spirit will give you what to say even in your defense when you're being persecuted. Practice now by depending on me, my people, and I will be with you when there's war for your souls. Let the people be the church and quit scripting every move as if it's a play where all the lines are memorized and spoken. Listen to my spirit. Follow what I say and you will have gifts, surprises, and miracles for you and your families. You will prosper, you will be healed, and it will be well with your souls. I think that's a fantastic word. God is a God of surprises. Now, He will always honor His word, but He is a God of surprises. I mean, just think about Easter morning when they went to the tomb and the angel was there and Jesus wasn't. They might as well have said, surprise. I mean, think about Pentecost and they went in the upper room and those 120 or so people were in that room and all of a sudden the, the wind, the, the sound like a mighty wind was blowing. It actually talks about it was like an explosion and the whole town came out to see what exploded. And those people came stumbling out, speaking in other tongues and, and it's like the Holy Spirit said, surprise! Because no matter what they thought was going to happen, no matter how they planned it out, it wasn't going to be the way they had scripted it. It was going to be the way that God had scripted it. Think about Jesus born in a manger and all those people believing that this king was going to be born in a palace somewhere and that he was going to command armies and they were going to overthrow the Romans and this baby is born in a barn because there's no room for them in the end. And it's as if God was saying, surprise, I did it a different way. And when Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan and the Spirit came on him and he was filled with the Holy Ghost and the Father spoke and said, this is my son. I think he was saying to the devil, surprise, you never killed him. He's here and he's he's going to manifest my presence. God wants to surprise us in many of the same ways. Do not script it for God. Don't think that you can tell God what to do. You can pray the word and you can claim the promise, but you cannot script what God is going to do the way he's going to do it. Amen. I think that's fun because he's going to do... I've seen revival before. Have you? I mean, we went to, when we were in the 70s, revival was all about not being able to keep it shut up on the inside of you. 
I mean, we'd go to church and it'd be a dead church and you'd want to raise your hands and speak in tongues and dance and see if they could throw you out because you just, could, because you just couldn't hold it on the inside of you. Then Tammy and I went to a revival one time in Canada, in Toronto, and, and uh, it was in the winter, it was cold, and we went to this revival at this church and it was called Airport Christian Fellowship. People were coming from that church from all over the world every night. All over the world, people were coming. They asked the pastor why he thought that God chose that church for this revival. And he said, well, I think it's because we're close to the airport. <laughs> that was his true answer. He, he didn't know why. God just chose them. And we went to that church and we walked in. There was not a greeter. There was no one there to take our name, our phone number, our address, and an email so they could follow up on us. There was no one there to tell us how glad they were to see us because they weren't there to see us. They were there to see Jesus, and that's why they came. And I'm telling you, they sang once, one or two songs that were good, two or three songs that were hokey. They got them, gave some silly announcements, and then Jesus moved in at his beckoning. We need to understand revival isn't about us telling God what to do. We're never going to be able to say, God, we command you to give us revival. It's about God coming and doing what God will do with people who have pure hearts. So, that being said, I'm going to give you a message tonight. I think, I believe God wants me to share this. Tammy and I are happy to be in Lubbock. You know, we've been here for about 15 years now after being away for 28 years or so. We both grew up here. We, uh, you know, we went to high school here and, and that type of thing. And so when we moved back 15 years ago, we realized how different Lubbock was. You know, when we grew up, there was nothing really outside the loop. It was all inside the loop, and, and uh, that's where the city was, and, and, but things were different. And uh, I realized that, that if we looked at a map of Lubbock, Texas, when we grew up here in the 70s and early 80s, it's probably about half the size of a map of Lubbock today because the city has just grown enormously. And there have been prophecies all over about God wanting to do things in Lubbock and that God has a purpose for this city. And many things have been fulfilled, but, but, but God, that, that this city is, is supposed to be a, a kind of a lighthouse for the presence of God in this part of the world. And, and God really wants to move here. He wants to do something great here. But we've noticed lots of things change and how, how different it was. But the one thing that we know didn't ever change was the Word of God. God's Word never changes. It always stays the same. Now, His methods change sometimes. I mean, back when Jesus was walking the earth, He was walking and riding a horse or a donkey. We don't do that anymore. We drive cars and we fly in airplanes today. So the methods have changed, but the Word is still the same. It's always the same. When we came back here 15 years ago, our intent was to, to start a church because we believe that believers need to be, be taught to be overcomers in every area of their lives, the devil wants to beat you up. Do you realize that? He wants to get you away from the Word. He wants you to believe in your circumstances. He wants you to believe in the rumors that are out there. He doesn't want you to believe God. And the reason people don't believe God in the Word is because they've never been taught the Word. All right? There are a lot of good churches in this town, but we must learn how to respond to the Word of God, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Okay, we're, we're just, we want to know that. All right? I found out over the years, I am not a deep preacher. You're going to find out if you've never heard me. I'm not very deep. Jesus didn't tell us to go deep. He told us to go out. And we're supposed to reach out. Now, he did tell the disciples one time to go into, go into the deep and cast the net to catch the fish. But, 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 but we're, we're, not to, we're, not, we're not to be deep. And I said this last time. Many people are so deep, they're stuck. 
and they get stuck in some religion and, and, and some, something else. The Word of God must be relevant to today's life. It has to be relevant to you and me. Otherwise, the Bible just becomes religion. Religion is this set of ceremonial rules and traditions that are established so that we can achieve right standing with God. Jesus already paid the way for our right standing with God. Yes, there are things we do that we live by. There are things that we take communion. We, we do certain things, but not as ritual and ceremony because our relationship with God is based on His grace through our faith. And we have to recognize that. And so I, I always keep it pretty simple so that I can understand it and so you can understand it as well. So our goal is to get to this place of successful Christian living so that we can have victory in life in, in, in all of the areas. This is what I know about Christians. Most of them need to get healed in their soul so they can help others get healed in their soul. There are a lot of sick Christians trying to get people to come to Christ, and they're sicker than the sick people out in the world are sometimes. So we've got to get, we've got to get well. We've got to get our spirits. Our spirits are already strong. Our spirit will never get more saved than it is right now. But our soul, our mind needs to be renewed so that our bodies can be renewed and refreshed and so we can bring others into the gospel and so they can hear it. You know, when you get on the airplane, they give all the announcements and some of them I don't understand. I can never figure out why they tell you how to buckle a seatbelt. I'm like, if you don't know how to buckle a seatbelt, maybe you don't need to be flying an airplane. <laughs> but another one's pretty good. They talk about when the mask drops, the oxygen mask drops. And they always say, I love it, they say, and when the mask drops, don't panic. <laughs> I mean, can you just think about that? How many people are not going to panic if that mask drops? Okay. But then they say this. They say, now, if you're traveling with a child, put your mask on first and then put the mask on the child. Why? Because you can't help the child unless you can help yourself. We're never going to reach the world if we're more sick than they are. If we don't know how to walk with Jesus, if we don't know how, to, to, to apply the Word of God to our lives, we're never going to help them. I know some Christians that have not smiled probably in a decade. Why would you want to have that Jesus in your life? Why would, you, why would that be? Well, come to my church. We're happy. No, we're not happy if we're just <laughs> frowning all the time. We need to be people who follow God because we love Him, not because He makes us. You and I ought to be so happy tonight that we've been delivered from hell and we've been delivered from the curse I mean, we ought to be rejoicing all the time because of what Jesus has done from us. Okay, so, so, so the Lord, I think, is directing me to do something. Every year in the National Football League, at the beginning of summer camp, they all go back to the basics. The veterans, the rookies, they take them into camp. Vince Lombardi, the, 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 the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, every year when he had camp in the summer, he would take his team and put them together and he'd say, gentlemen... This is a football. And that's how he started his practice. He taught them how to block again. He taught them how to tackle. He taught them how to run with the ball. Taught them the playbook. They went back to the beginning every year. And he built great teams that way because he never let them stray from the foundations. I think often the church has strayed from the foundation. So I felt like the Lord told me, this year may seem elementary to you some, but we're going to do some things because we're going to get back to Jesus. Wouldn't that be great? Get back to Jesus. I'm not, there's, there are a lot of things out there. A lot of churches that are 
focused on this and this, and I'm not saying they're wrong. But I believe if we're going to see God move, we're going to get back to Jesus. Jesus told the Pharisees one day, he said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. The Bible is about Jesus. It's about redemption through the blood of the Lamb. That's what the Bible's about. That's what the message is about, is about having hope because Jesus already paid a price for us. The Bible says, Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. We build on that foundation for sure, but we must understand what that foundation is. Listen, the church is not about listening to silly prophecies about jello, mountains made of jello in heaven, about children flying helicopters in heaven. That's not what it's about. It's about Jesus. It's not about, about I heard a prophet talking about that, that hell is just remedial and that, you know, you do good there, you can get out of it. And you can actually, then the, then the same guy later on said that you actually don't even have to, ever have to go to hell because everybody's name is written in the book of life. And it's in the Bible because all you do is you take certain verses and certain numbers and you count backwards and you can find your name. Well, that isn't what the scripture talks about. We understand that. It's about Jesus. It really is about Jesus. Now, when I talk about Jesus, I hope that makes you get excited. And not think, no, no, we need to go on beyond that because we need to get mature. No, no. We need to get the basics down so we can be the mature Christians we're supposed to be. So I, I'm going I'm to teach you some things. I realized one time that I've, I've really thought I've known it all lots of times. But in, when it got down to reality, I know about two or three things. And when I teach, I teach these two, two or three basic things. I know this. There is no such thing as reaping a harvest unless you sow a seed. It, it doesn't happen unless you sow a seed. That's true in the spirit. Until you sow a seed, there's going to be no harvest. I, I also know this. Faith is only faith if it's exercised in the Word of God alone. That's pretty powerful. We've got to understand, if we're going to have the God kind of faith, it must be exercised in what God said. Third thing I know, my destiny, your destiny, depends on the words that come out of your mouth. Because whatever comes out of your mouth, as Greg already said, is in your heart. You're going to go where your mouth takes you. Amen. That was worth the whole thing right there. So, here's my scripture for tonight. This is out of Mark chapter 1, beginning of verse 14. Now, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you like to have that set of tapes right there? Wouldn't you like to hear what Jesus said about the kingdom of God? He came preaching the gospel and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. There's a lot in those two verses that I just read to you. We're going to look at that for a moment. Mark is my favorite book in the Bible. I mean, I love the gospel of Mark. Mark was written by this guy named John Mark. I don't know if you know about John Mark. First time you really hear about John, I didn't mention his name the first time you hear about him, but in Mark's gospel, chapter 14, when, the, when Jesus is being arrested and all the disciples are fleeing and all the people are fleeing, they grab, the one guy's running away and they grab his clothes and he gets out of his clothes and he runs home naked. That's Mark. He wrote the book of Mark. 
<laughs> he ran home naked. That's, that's the first mention of Mark in the whole Bible. He was a disciple of Peter, and so pretty much the Gospel of Mark could be called the Gospel of Peter because he got this information from the Apostle Peter. He's also the nephew of Barnabas, and Peter and Barnabas traveled together, and their first missionary journey, they took Mark with them. I don't know if you remember that story. John Mark, Peter and uh, John Mark, Paul and Barnabas traveled together. Well, they got to this one place and Barnabas got, I mean, and, and Mark got homesick. And so he left and went home. We find out later it kind of made Paul mad. He didn't like that very much. And so when they came back together and they were going to go on another missionary trip, Barnabas said, well, let's take Mark again. And Paul said, no, we're not taking him. And they had this big dispute. And so Barnabas took Mark and Paul took Silas and they went in two different directions. All right, because Paul was still mad at John Mark, the guy who wrote this gospel. But later on in one of his letters, he called John Mark, he called him profitable to the ministry. So he eventually figured out that Mark was who he was supposed to be, and he was profitable for the ministry. In Mark's gospels, he uses the word straightway and immediately more than anybody else. He wrote this gospel to the Romans because the Romans were like Americans. They wanted it short, sweet, and full of action. And so this gospel has only got 16 chapters in it, and it is filled from the very beginning with things that, that, that are happening. I mean, they just these guys wanted the facts, and sometimes that's why we want facts. This passage, Jesus has just been baptized by John. Crazy John. You know, he's out there eating locusts and wild honey and wearing leather and all that. I mean, he, he, he was a wild man, and people, that's, that's why people came to see him, because he was so wild. Jesus goes, and he gets baptized by John. The Holy Spirit comes on him, and then, then the Holy Spirit says, this Holy Spirit tore heaven open to get to Jesus, because he was so ready for something new to happen, because the Spirit of God knew it was time. And you can read, I can't remember the exact Greek words, I mean the English words, but it says, he tore heaven. And he came, and he came upon Jesus because he was so excited to get here. All right, so Jesus, now he has the Holy Spirit. He fasted 40 days. He's tempted of the devil and beat the devil up out in the wilderness. And now he's preaching. Now, this message that we just read is the basic message of the very first part of Jesus' ministry. This is what he began to preach to people. It might need to be the basic part of the message we preach today. It's like the church has gotten very far away from what I'm getting ready to tell you. All right, we've gotten away from it. The gospel is not complicated. Let me say it again. The gospel is not complicated. We've tried to make it very complicated. It's not that complicated. All right, receiving from God is a simple matter of faith. I hope that didn't go over anyone's head. It's believing what he said and staying with it. Because God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It actually is settled whether I believe it or not. All right, it's very simple. It's believing that what he has said, he will do. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Simplicity. I want you to remember how simple it was when you got saved. Now, your life may have been a mess. When I got saved, I was six years old. And it wasn't very complicated. I just needed to go down the front, repent of my, because I was a filthy, dirty, rotten, no good sinner. And I needed to repent of my sins and ask Jesus to come into my heart. I simply believe that. Did you? 
It was that simple. And they said, okay, you need to be baptized. And I said, okay. And I just did what they told me to do. When it says simplicity, the word simplicity means singleness. Simplicity, sincerity, mental honesty. It means not complicated. It means one thing. You've got to see one thing. The devil came in the Garden of Eden. God told him one thing. The devil gave him a second option. And when there was a second option, now there's this room for negotiation. And they could rationalize why they weren't going to do the one thing anymore. They were going to choose the other thing. That's, that's the way it all comes. The devil comes and he tries to make you think there's more than one option rather than the Word of God. Amen. And that's when you get in trouble and that's when you become double-minded and that's when you're going to receive nothing from the Lord. I believe it's time for a move of God. I believe that. I believe it's time. I, I, I believe it's time <clears throat> for our city to have a move of God. I believe it's time for our nation to have a move of God. I believe there's a blessing coming to the church, but we've got to lean into Him. All right, the time is right for us to receive it. So the scripture says Jesus came preaching the gospel. The word preaching means to herald or proclaim loudly and openly, like a town crier who is giving the news. It means to speak as an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. So Jesus comes, and he's not whispering. He is loudly proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Loudly proclaiming it. I've been on mission fields before, and we go out in the mission field, and here's how we start it. We go into the neighborhoods. We knock on the door. They answer the door, and we don't say, Hi, Jesus loves you. No, we say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That gets everybody's attention. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what Jesus told them to do. Go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Then we ask them. We say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is there anybody sick here? Now, that's the way to get in the house. They let you in and pray for the sick. And when Jesus heals one of them, then their whole family comes to listen to the word. But Jesus was saying, he's, he's saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He wasn't whispering it. It wasn't a secret. He was boldly proclaiming the message. He wasn't ashamed of it. I mean, he was preaching it. And we need to be that kind of person. Not that we're obnoxious, but that we understand we're not ashamed to be Christians, are you? I mean, the world may give you a hard time, but we don't need to be ashamed of that. We need to. This is what I learned about the kingdom of God. There are general agents. There are specific agents. I don't believe there are any secret agents. I think we're in the kingdom of God. We're just in the kingdom of God. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, this is fun. You know what the word gospel means, right? It means to announce good news. It's the reward for good tidings. Jesus wasn't mad at the people. He was preaching good news. He was announcing good news to the people. I mean, there is wrath involved for people who turn off the gospel, who refuse to accept it. But Jesus came preaching the good news of the gospel, this gospel. He came preaching good news. The good news is that God wants to come to our aid. He wants to prevent the bad things from coming into our lives. The good news is that God is for us and not against us. And that's what Jesus came preaching. The people that Jesus was preaching behind the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were preaching how bad the people were. They were telling them how much of the law they had missed. In fact, when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, the first part of this, the first word of the sermon is blessed. And he came preaching good things, people being blessed. So Jesus is preaching good things. The good thing, God's for us. <clears throat> God is looking for a way to help us. He's trying to find the loophole so you don't have to go to hell. 
Most people think God's trying to find the loophole to send us to hell. That's not the way it works. You're not going to get to heaven and go, oh, wait, 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 wait. You didn't cross his T. Send him to hell. That's not what he's after. God is for us. The devil condemns. God gives life. I know in churches today, we've talked about this before, Doug and I have, that we went to church growing up, and we reminded every week we should go to hell. I mean, they told us all the time. And it seemed like they were mad at us every week. And every week, even though we believed in one saved, always saved, they wanted us to think we needed to repent every week so we wouldn't have to go to hell. But churches sometimes tell people how bad they are, or they ignore the gospel altogether, and they, they, they don't tell about hell and the curse at all. Those, that's not the gospel. Jesus wants us to preach and teach the good news of the Bible. The good news. All right? Doesn't mean we don't tell the bad news, but we've got to preach the good news. Here's what he preached. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now think about that sentence. The kingdom of God is at hand. What is a kingdom? We, we know of kingdoms. We know Great Britain is, is a monarchy. Really, it's, 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 it's got a different government. But the king. The word kingdom in the scripture means royalty, rule, realm, kingship, or dominion. It's talking about a kingdom, the territory that is subject to the rule of the king. A whole territory subject to the king. He's talking about a realm where the devil has no authority. The kingdom of heaven. He's talking about a realm where the devil has no authority. Now, is he talking about heaven? Maybe. I've heard people say, I can't wait till I get to heaven where the devil has no authority. Jesus is talking about a kingdom. The kingdom of God. It's a realm that the devil has no authority. Jesus is referring to a territory, now hear this, where sin, sickness, poverty, the curse of the world do not have the final say, but a place that is dominated by the proclamation of God. That sounds good, doesn't it? Is he talking about heaven? I'm going to tell you he's not. He said the kingdom of heaven is where? At hand. He didn't say the kingdom of heaven could be at hand. He didn't say the kingdom of God may be in the future. Jesus said the kingdom of God or heaven is at hand. Now remember when Bill Clinton said that depends on what is is. Well this is talking about is being present now. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is at hand. What does that mean? If the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, wait a minute. Is, is there a curse in heaven? No, there's no curse in heaven at all. Is, is, is there sin? Do they rob banks? Do they beat people up? No, none of that happens in heaven. All right? So he's saying there's a kingdom that is at hand. The phrase at hand means to make near, to bring near, to join one thing to another. Here's what Jesus is saying. I've got some good news. The realm of God's domain is right now joined to you. It's near you now. That's pretty good news, isn't it? He was saying, it's, it's, he's saying it's, it's at hand. What does it mean if it's at hand? If something is near, it's at hand. If this piece of paper is at hand, it's within my grasp. It is at hand. I can reach out and I can take it. Jesus was preaching that this realm, this domain of God, where the devil is not in authority, is within my grasp. That's good news. I mean, that's, that's almost worth dancing for. 
I mean, he said it's within your grasp. He didn't say it would be when I get to heaven. He said it's within my grasp now, and that is good news. Very good news. He said, the time is fulfilled. The word time is not the word. Usually they use the word chronos for time, which means time as it is. But here he uses this word kiros, which means this. It's a fixed and definite time, a time when things are brought to crisis, the decisive epoch waited for. It's a particular time marked by an epical event. So Jesus is saying an epical event has occurred. What's an epical event? An epical event is when everything changes. Something that, de- that, that defines, that, that divides between then and now. An epical event would be, if you're old enough, to remember where you were standing or what you were doing when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. When you heard that. That was an epical event. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, that was an epical event. Life changed forever after that event. Jesus is saying something has happened. Something has happened. A specific time when afterward everything is forever different. Something has changed. When it says time is fulfilled, it means to make complete. It's been fulfilled with the present. This is what the word means. Things have been fulfilled with the present result that the time is ripe. It means the change over to a different kingdom is within our grasp because something has happened that's made it possible for us. He's saying, I've got good news. An epical event has occurred, so you have access to the changeover into God's domain where you can right now escape the clutches of the curse of the devil. That's an epical event. Do you remember when you got born again? That was an epical event. Remember we used to sing, it was on a Sunday, and you sit up on her and then... About half the people, they didn't know what day it was. They stood up, but I don't know what day it was, but somebody touched me. But it was an epical event. Everything changed in a moment. Here Jesus is saying, I've got, I've got this thing. The time is now. The time is right for you to reach out, take hold of the rule, the realm, and the reign of God. You can take it. It's within your grasp. Because now, all of a sudden, a different authority comes into your life. Now, you've got to realize, the devil isn't just going to roll over and lets you take it. He's going to fight you with everything he has to fight, with lies and deceptions. He's going to do everything he can to get you not to, to, to allow this to materialize in your life. He's going to do everything. So what do we do? We, we receive it by faith, and we've talked about this last year. We must fight the fight of faith. But the victory is within our grasp if we'll learn how to receive it. There's a message, there's, there's a Bible that's, that's called the Ben Campbell Johnson Version. And it's, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good uh, paraphrase, but, what, but I like the way this says it. When Jesus is speaking, it says, The time is ripe, an invasion from heaven is imminent. The time is ripe, an invasion from heaven is imminent. Imminent means about to happen. Jesus is saying that God's forces are about to invade your life if you'll simply receive the good news. Believe it, receive it. An epical event has been fulfilled, namely that Jesus has come with the present result that the time is ripe for an imminent invasion from the kingdom of God. He's saying this invasion is at our disposal. So how do we get it? Well, he told us, repent and believe the gospel. Two things, repent. What's repent mean? To change your mind, to change the way you think, to change what no longer thinking in terms of being the helpless, 
but the helped. No longer thinking in terms of being the sinner, but the saint. No no longer in terms of thinking that I'm just a victim, but that I'm the victor because of Jesus in me. Understanding I've got to change the way that I think. Having my mind renewed. I mean, we've got to understand repentance isn't bad. Repentance is good because it change, we change the way we think. We change what we think about sin and what causes us to sin. We change all of that. So we do that. So we, have, we, we, we simply have to, have to repent and believe. If we don't believe, the repentance is useless. What is faith? What does the word believe mean? It's, this is the action form of the word faith. And what does that mean? The word faith, the Greek word is pistis, and it means to be sold out on a thing. Absolutely convinced of a thing where, where it would be impossible for you to change your mind regarding the thing. We have to repent, change our mind, and believe, be sold out on the gospel, the good news. I mean, Jesus is saying we got to walk over the past wholeheartedly, embrace the good news that will invade our lives if we turn toward it. We've allowed the devil to run the church for too long. We've allowed the devil to run our lives for too long, to run our bodies, to run our finances, to run our families. It's time for us to receive the good news, change our mind, and believe what God said. I mean, it is really that simple. That's the foundation of all of Christianity. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. The scripture says, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. That's how we do it all. We believe, we repent, we we change our thinking, and we believe what God says. Now, the only way you can believe what God says is to know what God says. And I believe that as as we learn, we begin to talk about Jesus what he's done for us, I think we'll know what he said. The time is ripe for an invasion from the Spirit. The time is ripe for you and for me. The time is ripe for a move of God. God wants to move in Lubbock. He wants to move in our lives. What we simply must do is believe the gospel. Believe what Jesus said. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, tonight, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you, Father, that tonight you want us to receive the good news. I know there's more to it than what I just said tonight. I know the devil doesn't want us to hear any of it. He wants to bring to our minds all the terrible things that have happened and are happening. But, Lord, we simply want to believe the good news, believe the gospel, and understand there's a kingdom that the devil has no authority in. He has no no power in. We want to receive the gospel, the kingdom, the rule, the realm, and the reign of God. Father, tonight we choose to believe, we choose to receive. In Jesus' name, amen.